calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Podiobooks.com, an association with pjvalentine.net and writersexchange.com, presents Weaver's Web, written and read by Philippa Valentine. As she may strapped on the last of her black armour, Jerris watched, vaguely amused from the doorway of the hut. It still wore its male form, but today draped once more in a simple leaf. As she may tested her leg gingerly, how do I look now, Jerris? More like a messenger? He ran his eyes up her. He seldom looked at women any more, or indeed anyone. The world was too harsh to think of anything else but his own pain. Now, however, he was beginning to suspect there was more to life. Unconsciously, he was leaning towards her strength. It was visible now, that which had been dampened by injury. Ashimay didn't have his beauty, but power radiated from her face. She was tall, as tall as he, that had slipped by unnoticed while tending her. But how sad to see that glorious hair hidden away by war braids about her head and down her back. He recalled washing her hair gently while she was unconscious. But now Ashime had coated it with wax to prevent opponents from getting a good grip on it in battle. Her body beneath the armour was well muscled and strong, her arms speckled with scars. Jerris had to admit, though he didn't like it, that the armour suited her well. This was her natural element. The sword swinging from her hip seemed to smooth her stride, as if she had unknowingly always compensated for its loss. About the scabbard were the only colours, apart from her hair, the scarlet and green of her clan. What a fine weapon for the duke she made. Jerris would miss her. Slipping into its natural between state, Jerris abandoned the doorway and began to gather the discarded bandages and remains of poultice. You look ready. That's a fine sword. A gift from your duke, perhaps? She unsheathed it with an economical movement, running her eye along the blade's silver length. No, my father's. Jerris was sure that there was more to be told, but all too aware how much certain stories could hurt. Out of the corner of one eye it saw Ashime crane her head, looking up at the sheer walls of the ravine. Though they were some distance downstream from where she had fallen, it knew what she was thinking. How could I survive that? I mean, it's so far... Jerris shrugged, a long, lean, rippling motion. Sometimes we're given no answers. Some things are just meant to be. Perhaps you're protected. She crouched down and began to stuff provisions into the pack that it had made for her. I wish I was. But the moment you start thinking like that, that's when death gets the upper hand. Perhaps the mother has more work for me to do at the Duke's side. Her back was turned, and so she didn't notice Jerris stiffen. 
but kept its voice carefully even. "'You love him, then?' Straightening up and adjusting the pack on her back, she gave it an odd look. "'I must, I guess. It's strange, but after you've been with a person for a long time, you just take them for granted. He's so much a part of my life, I can't tell the difference between us sometimes. He'll be surprised to see me so soon, but this message must be out of date by now, and I really should report back.' Jeris wasn't listening, too busy scanning the grey face of rock that loomed above them. It had the superior senses. As she may look doubtfully about her, cautioned by its stillness. Much as she tried, she picked up nothing. She exclaimed loudly when Jeris scooped up the cowled robe and bundled it over her. It's too hot for that. I won't need it climbing. No time to explain. We've got to get out of here. What are you talking about? Someone's coming down the path. Shifting into male form, Jerris pointed to the goat track that was the only way up out of the ravine. Their arms jingling, and I hear the rattle of swords. It dashed into the hut. There were sounds of thumping and dragging. When he emerged, he was carrying a long pair of sheathed swords and a small hunting bow. If there was time, I'd gather some of my herbals, but I can always make more. Come on. Jerris was an unnerving creature at the best of times. It kept its thoughts to itself, and Ashimay found herself drawn to it by curiosity. Now, though, Jerris's hands were almost shoving her to leave the valley. Her feet skidded in the loose rock as she struggled to keep up. She could distinguish nothing over the distant rumble of the waterfall upriver. She craned her head, shading her eyes with one hand, and looked up the face of the cliff. She still couldn't hear anything, but something about the stillness of the scene tickled at her warrior's senses. Birds that had sung in the trees were still, and Ashima had come to believe Jerris over the past weeks. If it said something was happening, she believed it. She didn't argue when it began to lead the way down the damp curve of the river. The back of her neck itched. Little cover was available, and any decent archer would find them easy pickings. They would just have to rely on keeping ahead of them. Questions buzzed in her head, but she knew better than to bother Jerris with them now. Picking their way carefully among the rocks, they skirted quickly behind large boulders that the river had thrown up, the better to avoid detection. Whoever was following them, as she may thought to herself, obviously was down here for one of them. The going was not easy, and undoubtedly even harder for fully armoured warriors. Not for the first time she was glad of the lighter messenger trappings. Jerris moved silently and efficiently over the ground, making her feel positively flat-footed in comparison. When the going got tight, Jerris would flicker to female form, and where strength was required, male. As they had to scramble over huge boulders, he leaned down and effortlessly lifted her up. No matter the negatives, she decided, in this sort of situation, Jerris had the distinct advantage. Where are we going? She finally managed to gasp after they dropped down over some driftwood. Past that? She pointed further down the river. The roar of water pummeling rock was deafening. They had come to the top of another large waterfall. Even from here, they were almost blinded by rising mist. Sparing her a reassuring glance, it hurried over to the cliff face, where there was limited covering of bush. Its golden form disappeared into the cover, pausing only to beckon her in after. As she may made a far more substantial figure than than Jerris's female form. She swore and cursed when the buckler strapped to her back became caught and her pack jammed in the remaining space. Jerris's lithe shape slipped ahead of her, and Ashimay fought the urge to scream in frustration. Finally, after a good deal of determined yanking, she followed. Making it to the cliff face proper, she could now see a gasping crack that ran right up it. She certainly hoped Jerris knew what it was doing. They slithered into the moist darkness. 
After a few steps, it was pitch black, and Ashime couldn't see a thing. She felt a warm hand grasp hers and heard Jerris's unmistakable voice. This way. Jerris had looked after her for a perilous few weeks, and she trusted it completely. Her feet slipped and twisted under her, but each time that she might have fallen, his hand caught her, or her hand guided her. Where are we going? Ashime whispered. Further in. I know there's a tunnel here leading to the top. The villagers use it to get down to the waterfall. For a few more minutes they moved on. Ashime's eyes adjusted a bit, and she could just make out Jerris's form moving ahead. They stopped, and she could feel him casting around. What's the matter? One problem. There's been a cave-in. The way's blocked. If we're lucky, they don't know about the tunnel at all. It remained unsaid what would happen if they did. How can you see anything in this darkness? Ashime felt around with one hand and found a slippery rock to rest on. I have a few gifts. The reply came faintly out of the darkness. Was it moving away? I'll just slip back and see if they know where we've gone. She heard Jerris's feet slither against the stone. Then she was alone, with only the steady drip of water for company. Humming to herself under her breath, Ashime fiddled around in her pack. Locating the little lantern and flint that Jerris had packed for her, she set them down. She was damned if she was going to fight in this dark. Unsheathing her sword and laying it across her legs, she waited. But not for long, as it happens. It's not our day, I'm afraid. Jerris disturbed the air fractionally as it sat down next to her. I'd hoped to avoid this. But they're coming in. They must have spoken to the local villagers. Seems to be about twenty out there. That's a lot. But at least they won't be expecting us to still be here. The cave will be as much surprised to them as us. That's not much comfort. They obviously don't want anyone escaping. Who do you know that wants you dead that much? I must admit, I have quite a list. Made a lot of friends, have you? Friends and enemies both. Well, whoever they are, they're coming in. Ashime rose, struck the flint and lit the little lantern. We best make ready. She blinked madly in the sudden light, but better to be a bit blinded now than later. I don't like this. Jerris shook his head, his hands clenching and unclenching on the twin swords. Once we kill a couple of them, they'll just retreat outside and starve us. I don't like it either, but there aren't many alternatives. They stared at each other in the pale gleam of the lantern. No warning was necessary. Ashime heard them coming. Unhooking her buckler, she strapped it on her arm and forearm. Better to die fighting next to a friend than on a bridge by herself. She spaced herself far away enough from him to allow free movement. Feeling her blood rise, she fought it down. Their enemies didn't expect them. As they stepped through the stone gap, she took her measure of their opponents. Tough-looking clansmen, wearing no identifying lathe, they wouldn't run. She'd seen that expression often enough. The one carrying a crude torch propped it against some rocks and moved up with his companions. They were obviously the advance guard. One grinned at her in the lamplight and called back over his shoulder. Hey, they're trapped in here! She hardly wanted them to pass that on. Swinging her sword was like stepping into the moves of a well-remembered dance. Ashime's sword arm was strong, and her speed with it, she knew, was almost unmatched. Batting aside the man's first attack with her buckler, she parried his lightning riposte with her blade. Stepping in quickly after, she dealt him a staggering uppercut with her bucklered fist. The wicked spikes drew blood across the underside of his chin, narrowly missing the jugular. Her follow-up was a powerful, disemboweling thrust. The man dropped and rolled away, his life spilling onto the rocks. It was over in brief seconds. No purpose was served by prolonging his agony. 
each fight should be completed as quickly as possible. The longer it went on, the greater chance of failure, particularly with her legs still weak. Also, there were other risks that she preferred not to be exposed to. Jerris, too, cut his enemy down swiftly. The man had probably never had to deal with an attack from an opponent wielding two swords. The form was not exactly common in Crisfell. Their eyes met across the bodies of their would-be killers. It's been a long time since I last held a weapon. Jerris's voice was quiet, even in the vaulted tunnel. You're pretty good. I don't want to be good at this. But I had this feeling when I found you in the river that this sort of thing would follow. There was no answer to that as far as she was concerned. Sometimes people had to fight. There wasn't any creature in the wild that wouldn't defend itself. Feeling his gaze upon her as she may turned away, her eyes burned in her head and battle fever babbled just below her calm facade. She bent and wiped her sword on the fallen enemy's shirt. All was still for a time. So now we're truly friends, as she may broke the silence, leaning back on the rock once more. We've shed blood together, stood shoulder to shoulder. That doesn't make friendship. Jerris slipped back into the between state. But I think we are friends all the same. Good, as she may hauled herself up on the rock fall until she could swing her legs idly. I would hate to die with a stranger. Jerris let out a small laugh that broke like a bell within the tunnel. How about not dying at all? Outside, they could dimly hear the sounds of shouts and feet on rock. You know, once these two don't answer, as she may jerk to head at the fallen men, they'll just get smart. Bring in some archers to tenderize us before they come in. That little bow of yours isn't up to this, and unfortunately I lost mine in the fall. We can always hope that they're stupid. That would be unlikely. They look professional. Now that they know we won't be easily overcome, they'll figure it out. The chill damp of the cave made Ashime shiver as the heat of the fight passed. That brief battle had not been enough to warm her. Her injured leg began to ache. What would Garen think when she didn't return? She wanted to see his dear face and hear his voice. Many things still remained to be said between them, things that she'd held back from him. The tension built as they sat silently in the darkness, until Ashime began to wish that something would happen, anything almost. Then quite suddenly it did. The earth let out a mighty roar. The cave shook and was filled by thick, choking dust. It ran up the entrance towards them. Anything was preferable to being buried alive. Ashime leapt off the rock pile as the dust began to choke her throat, and they charged out of the cave. Her only thought was to avoid one of her greatest fears. Being buried alive was not a proper death for a warrior. For a long moment, the dust overcame their eyes, and when they emerged into the light, tears were running furiously down their faces. Chaos was all around them. A huge landslide had rushed down the side of the cliff, narrowly missing the entrance to the tunnel. Their enemies outside weren't so lucky. The cries of the crushed and dying men came to them from under the dust cloud. It was an eerie, unearthly sound. Ashime was almost too shocked to notice one uninjured warrior charging her. She caught sight of him out of the corner of one streaming eye. Narrowly avoiding his first swing, she caught the next with a swift parry. No time for finesse, she used her buckler to shove hard. He lost his footing on the uneven ground. Leveling her sword at his throat, she glared at him, leaving no room for doubt. Drop your weapon and leave it here, is my suggestion. He glanced around and saw he was facing her alone. He took the chance she offered. Jerris stood close by, blades bared, waiting to see what else the dust concealed. The buzz and whir of unleashed arrows could be heard around them in the cloud. They froze where they were for fear of stepping into an arrow's path. 
After a few deadly minutes, the screams halted. In point of fact, some of them were cut off rather abruptly. The two of them tensed, ready for whatever might emerge from the filth. When a slightly grimy figure finally did appear, Eshume let out a long breath of relief. Lyric! Rushing over, she embraced her friend. He gave her an uncharacteristic grin and hugged her back. While the rest of the dust settled, the other three came into view. Rozo climbed down from above, his face smeared with dirt and his hair in sweaty spikes. Once his feet touched the ground, Eshume rounded on him. You idiot! You set off that landslide and almost killed us! She shoved him with both hands. Krinus blushed, rubbing his neck in embarrassment. Well, actually, uh, that was a kind of a mistake. We only meant to roll one or two boulders down. For a moment they took in the actual result. It looked like half of the mountain had tumbled down on the enemy. A twisted mass of rock and warriors ran almost to the river. Arms and legs were snapped in directions that they shouldn't be in, but pretty near all she could imagine now lay under the earth. Ashima shook her head. This cheating death was becoming a habit. Not that she minded. Sometimes these four men, who were her closest, dearest friends, could be a tad impulsive. Fortunately, it usually worked out well. Clapping Jerus on the back, she introduced it. It had defiantly chosen its natural form, as if daring the four seasoned warriors to question. Ashima almost held her breath, but apart from a few odd looks, the men greeted Jerus normally. She had no doubt they would question her thoroughly once they were out of earshot. Nice blades. Gustin, as always, was the first to break the ice. I can see you're part of Ash's shield brotherhood now. Well, welcome to it. It does get a bit hairy sometimes. Jerris smiled hesitantly. I've already noticed. We best be moving, Rosa jested back up the river. We have a burning hut back there. Might attract some attention. Oh, no, Ashimay clapped her hand to her head. You look after me all this time, and this is how I repay you. It was just a place. We're not much of a one at that, Jerris replied mildly. It's easily replaced. Would you mind if I come with you to Skellig, though? She knew immediately that this was strange. For all the time she'd known it, Jerris had only ever expressed distaste, if not loathing, for the so-called civilised places. Of course. We'll be glad of an extra sword arm if we run into more trouble. Murick was already climbing the rockfall, picking his way between the bodies. He gestured for them to follow him, and they all decided it was best not to linger. The climb was hard. The men were all wearing the chainmail they'd kept when the scarlet wolves were disbanded, and Ashima knew better than to remind them of the benefits of leather. They'd had this argument before. No doubt Jerris wanted to keep its changing ability to itself, as it didn't appear to repeat its trick from the riverbank. The air was chill, but all six were soon sweating hard. Wordlessly they pulled each other up, or offered their hand for a foothold. There was no spare energy for words. They were lucky, however, in reaching the top just before nightfall and making it to the cover of the forest. Slumping down, they had to collect themselves before attempting to make camp. Ashime's leg ached, but she said nothing. Jerris was the first to recuperate and slipped off into the trees while the others lay gasping at the edge of the forest. It was diplomatically gone for a while. Crinus rolled over. Would you mind telling me what exactly that is, Ash? Its name is Jerris, and without its help I wouldn't be here for you to almost kill with a landslide. Guston fished around in his backpack, finding his flint and a supply of dry kindling. That's good, Ash. We're glad you're alive. But we still want to know what we're travelling with. It's only fair. Murick obviously didn't want to be involved, so he went to get some firewood instead. 
Rosso snorted, propping his arms up on his legs. You know her, Augustin. Always finds the lame dog in the street. Shooting him a furious look, Eshime shrugged. Look, I don't exactly know what it is, but it's my friend. It can change to man and woman. It's an excellent healer, and it fights well. That's all I know. For a moment there was silence. Krenis grinned. Well, that's good enough for me. All very well, Rosso shook his head. But we've got to go back to Skellig with it. It's not like it's easy to conceal something like that. In the Outer Islands there's all sorts of strangeness, but here, Ashime, people will turn and look at something like that. And, uh, that's at best. Her anger sparked, and she struggled to control it. No point arguing, Rosso. It comes with us, and that's final. Once we reach Skellig, Garen can sort it all out. Merrick returned with firewood, and on hearing her, cast a sharp look at the other men. Guston caught his eye, and nodded. Mm. There's another thing, Ash. Something weird's going on with the Duke. There are a lot of guards on the road. So what? I don't understand what you mean. Crinus leaned forward as Guston attempted to light a fire. We, we had to come. Merrick said that you'd need our help, and it was probably best to keep out of the way of the Duke's men. Sweet mother, what for? An uncomfortable silence prevailed. Ashimay began to feel very uneasy. Jera submerged from the bushes, its hands full of various herbs and roots. Looking around at the hard faces and averted looks, it wisely kept its peace. Sitting at the far edge of the circle the others had made, it set to, preparing some sort of poultice. Rosa was the first to venture his opinion. Haven't you wondered uh, how the Sitkan knew what you were doing? Even which way you were going? The Tyrrell Harbour isn't usually used by messengers. They could have informers at Skellig. Oh, come on, Ash, use your brains, Prinus said. The Sitkan haven't been aggressive for generations. The Duke's been using them as a scare tactic, that's all. Don't you see, won't you let yourself see the implications? She didn't answer. Turning instead to Jerris, she smiled tightly. Is that for my leg? It nodded. Unlacing her greaves, she sat quietly while it applied the poultice to her thigh. The others exchanged looks over her head. Finally, she managed to reply. Look, I, I know that the four of you have never liked Garen, even in the Scarlet Wolves, but to suggest that what I think you're suggesting, it's just stupid. He loves me. He would never do anything to hurt me. I have to get back to him. If you're going to keep saying these things, then perhaps you'd better just go your own way. Merrick rose and plopped down next to her. Grasping her shoulder, he murmured quietly enough, only for her ear. We'll keep our peace, Ash. We're your friends, and only want you to be happy. Very well. I just hope you know how much it hurts me to hear you say things about Garen. Rosa was visibly biting his tongue, but on that sour note the six of them gave up arguing. In virtual silence they unrolled their packs and slept under the dark canopy of trees as best they could. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an E or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website which is pjvallantine.net. 
On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast is supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.